You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Those of you that have been here the last several weeks and uh, even over a month now, you'll know that we've been walking our way through Ephesians chapter 2. Um, But this morning, uh, the Lord has just arrested my heart with a particular message uh, from John chapter 21. And let me say this to you, um, that last week I preached a message from John, or from rather from Ephesians chapter 2, entitled Alive Together with Christ, Alive Together with Christ. And the end of that passage, there was a statement And that statement we just began to just touch on um, at the end of our Easter time together. But I want to bring that back to your mind this morning. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I made some comments on that last week. Uh, at the end of the message that we didn't get a chance to unpack. Uh, The idea that we have a hole in our heart that God has somehow created us with that we might fill it with Jesus in our lives. And and I've heard people say that and even heard it this week even um, as we have, have just been doing ministry throughout the week. And yet, this is not at all what God has intended in our lives. God actually did not create us with a whole, God is to be our all, our everything. Not just some part filling in a missing space in our lives. The, this verse teaches, that we looked at last week, that those who are in Christ are God's. And that our lives are created totally new in order to walk in the good works that He prepared for us beforehand. That's the goal of Christianity, that we would be new creations. And so I didn't get a chance to unpack that really last week, and I I want to take the opportunity this morning really to press in on that. And here is the reason. Because I think that in our world of convenience, in our world of instant gratification, in our world of democratic process and being able to voice all of our concerns and our thoughts in our world around us and whatever else we have developed in our lives, I think that with that, we have also developed a Christianity that is non-disruptive. A Christianity that just kind of fits into everything else that we're doing. If you want to be a a good American, then you need to love baseball and eat apple pie and love Jesus. We just kind of fit that into our lives. And so as I was just thinking on that last phrase, one of the things that the Lord led me to this Easter was to read through some of the encounters with Jesus after 
the resurrection? What are those places where Jesus appeared to people and and they saw the, the risen living Christ, not in spirit, but in bodily form? And the Lord led me to John chapter 21 and I could not get away from this particular passage. And so what we're going to do before we move to the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 next week is we're going to look at this one particular post-resurrection encounter between the disciples and Jesus. After the cross, after the resurrection. And we're wanting to know this morning, as we've been looking at the Gospel in Ephesians, we're wanting to know what does the new life in Christ mean? In other words... What does it mean to be God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? There is a curious phrase in John chapter 21 that I think has traditionally been obscured when we read this passage. We're well familiar with most of it. But it's not until we get to the end that I think we find something that is hugely important. And so what I want to do this morning is preach this message in a little bit different way. We're not going to, right from the beginning, see the main truth that we're after. Rather, we're trying to get to the end of the passage. And I think that if you read the passage and you're just just reading through the Gospel of John that you will be left with a captivating and convicting question that ought to lead to a different way in the way that we live our lives. So, that will be the framework, and I want to just kind of lead you there. So hang with me as we walk through John chapter 21 together. If you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 21 John chapter 21, and we will read together verses 15 and following. The Bible says that when they had finished breakfast, by the way, this is the disciples and Jesus there by the Sea of Galilee. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he, Jesus, said to him one final time, tend my sheep. And then he said the third time, this is the final time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we have confessed this morning that we love you. That we, as followers of Jesus, have given our lives to you at the cross. We've surrendered our lives and thereby expressed our deep love and affection for what you did there on the cross. And that we are now yours in your blood. And we thank you, God, that we can love you because you first loved us. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to see what kind of love that is to be. God, that we would understand what it means to really love you as if Jesus is asking us this morning, do you love me? And if we were to respond to him, not just with our words, but with our lives, God, we want to know what that looks like. And we want you to be honored in what we say and what we do. And so I pray that that would be true. God, thank you again that we've celebrated your cross and your resurrection and the new life that comes in the gospel this morning through baptism. And I pray that if there is someone here who's never trusted in Jesus, that this day would be the day of salvation. And God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so this is one of the encounters. In fact, the Bible tells us that this is the third encounter. Uh, between anyone and Jesus uh, whenever he was risen from the grave. Last, uh, last Sunday morning, early during our sunrise service, we read Matthew 28 uh, when the women went to the tomb and the very first time the world knew that Jesus was no longer in the grave, uh, that he had died for sinners and that he had risen again. And now we get to experience the disciples' joy uh, whenever they discovered that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. In fact, we skipped over a little part. If you would, go back to John chapter 21 at the beginning, and you'll see with me this encounter. So we need to kind of get some context here to see what's going on in the lives of these disciples as they see Jesus. So chapter 21 and verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, if you've studied your Bibles, you know that the Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee. There was a city named Tiberias and right down from Tiberias, which I think is probably why John refers to it as the city of or as the Sea of Tiberias. Right down from the, the, the place of Tiberias is the place where Peter would have gathered with the other disciples there fishing would have been the area where they were fishing most likely. And, and there's even a spot there on the shore that's said to be the spot where Jesus and the disciples gathered there for breakfast. So Simon Peter, who has been kind of the poster boy throughout John, you'll see him here in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night... They caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They hadn't caught fish all night and all of a sudden their nets were full. 
And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for which, or for he, he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Can you imagine seeing Jesus for the first time? The one who you followed, that you've grown to love. He died. He's been buried. And even though Jesus said He was going to rise again, there's a lack of belief, a certain sense of doubt in their hearts. But when Peter sees those full nets, Peter is so excited and so overjoyed to know Jesus that he can't even, he can't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He just jumps into the water. How many of you remember that day when you were so excited to see Jesus and to meet Jesus that you just ran after Him because you knew all that He had done for you? What a joyful day that was. And so they were having breakfast by the sea. And I've stood in this very place on the Sea of Galilee, even eaten fish where the disciples gathered on oh, but to be there with Jesus. The statements in this passage that we're most familiar with are the ones that Jesus makes to Peter when he says, do you love me? And three times he asks the question. And of course, we love that that story, and, and we know that that's tied to mission and that we ought to be consistently faithful to what God has called us to do in the Gospel as, as followers of Jesus. And yet, there is a curious statement that I think we've skipped over, and it comes right at the end of the passage. John 21 there in verse 18. And he makes this strange statement without even taking a breath of explanation. In fact, the explanation that's in verse 19, the parentheses there, came after the fact. John placed that there so we might have a better understanding of what was said. But Jesus looked at Peter and said, Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, that's, that's a strange, strange kind of statement after you just said, Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Well, let's talk about your age for a moment. <laughs> it's just kind of a strange thing that, that Jesus would, would mention these things. And there, there are uh, some huge, huge things behind this passage and And I think that we can't understand that statement unless we kind of walk through them together. And and so what I want to do in order to get the meaning of that statement, I want to walk you through a journey through John chapter 21. But in order to do that, we've got to start at the beginning of the conversation, or at least somewhat at the beginning, where this kind of dialogue between Jesus and Peter began. And so I want you to turn with me, hold your place. I want you to turn with me back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and let's look together at this story. John chapter 13, and look with me at verse 36, we'll begin. John chapter 13, and look with me at verse 36. Now, you'll know this to be the place where Jesus was in the upper room with His disciples, and John gives us perhaps the longest uh, version of the upper room uh, no doubt the longest version of all that was happening there with the disciples in that, in that last few moments before, before He would be arrested. And so this conversation between Jesus and Peter begins in John chapter 13 and verse 36. So Simon Peter said to Him, Lord, where are You going? 
concerned about Jesus' departure. And of course, Jesus was talking about his own death. And Peter was concerned. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Now, Jesus is talking about his death. He's soon to go to the cross. And he says, you cannot follow me now. He, he says, you, you will follow me afterward. And by the way, we hear that echo and that's part of what helps us a little bit later when we answer this question of what does that passage, what does that verse mean over in John chapter 21? But he says, you can't follow me now. And Peter's confused and frustrated and probably fearful. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says the convicting words, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Jesus says, will you give up your life for me? What's the problem with Peter's statement? Is it not a good thing that he was passionate about following after Jesus, even to the point of his own death? Certainly, we should we should applaud Peter's passion and his his desire to follow Jesus all the way to the end. I don't know about you, but when I get passionate about something, I give everything that I am to it. And this is what Peter seems to be doing. And yet Jesus knew that he was overestimating his own abilities, not only overestimating his own abilities, but overestimating what he could do, not only for his own life, but for the lives of others. And he says to me, he says to Peter, Peter, you're you're going to deny me before this thing is said and done. You can imagine that the shock and bewilderment that Peter must have had. Of course, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. The same kind of statements in John 21. And yet it begins to happen. Go over to John 18 with me. John 18. We see the story there. John chapter 18 and thumb with me down to verse 15. John chapter 18 and verse 15. The Bible says that Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. This is when he was being arrested. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door so that the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Now watch what happens with Peter. Verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not uh, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? It's a rhetorical question. She's accusing him, saying, aren't you one of these disciples? And Peter didn't say, I'm going to go die for Jesus now. (laughs) Peter says, nope, I'm not that guy, not that guy. I'm not him. Verse 18. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. You might underline that. Because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself by that charcoal fire. Jump down to verse 25 with me. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Notice he says that, it says, John tells us that he denied it and said, I am not. Then verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. You remember that story? 
asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Peter's not so sure of himself now, is he? Not so sure that he would follow Jesus all the way to the death. In fact, it seems that seeing Jesus being tried for his life, Peter doesn't want to admit it because he's afraid now to die for Jesus. He had overestimated who he was. And then the encounter, John chapter 1, you remember, or John chapter 21. Do you remember how many times Peter denied Jesus? Three, right? John chapter 21. They go outside. You're there in John 21. Read it with me. Verse 9. They go there to the shore. It says that when they got out on land, they saw what? A charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. God had shown incredible mercy and given them so much fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. So Peter gathered around the same kind of charcoal fire, the same scent. Have you ever smelled something and been reminded of something in your life? And Peter smells the fire. And Jesus asks him, number one, do you love me? Number two, do you love me? And on the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? That moment, Peter's grieved. He knows exactly what Jesus is trying to draw his mind to. The conversation back in John chapter 13 when he was ready to go to the cross for Jesus and yet he denied Him. Three times do you love Me? And Peter is grieved because he knows what he has done. And he was grieved because in one sweeping question he was made immediately aware of his sin his failure, and ultimately that Jesus had paid that ultimate price for him. And so this is the first major thing that we see in the passage that if we're not careful, we will miss. Jesus paid a debt, listen to me church, that you and I could never pay. Jesus paid for our sin on Calvary's cross Because you and I could never pay the debt that was owed God for our sin. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of His glory. Every single one of us is deserving of death and spiritual death for all of eternity. And yet Jesus, because of His mercy and grace that we just sang about, took that death in our place. He substituted His own life for my life. What I deserved. He exchanged my sin for His righteousness. And He became sin that I might be the righteousness of God in Him. He gave His life for me. And just as Peter was sinful and weak and fearful, I am also sinful, weak and fearful. Listen to me carefully. Do not overestimate your own abilities. You and I, if left to ourselves, will be given over to prideful 
rebellion and denial of Jesus Christ. And we have a sin debt that we could never pay, but Jesus paid it for us. Amen? Jesus paid it for us. And so the story goes on. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? You see, the first measure that we could ever know of loving Jesus is whether or not we've submitted our lives to Him in the Gospel. I want you to hear me say this morning that to know God is to know Him through Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no hope. You, you cannot earn it. You can't figure it out on your own. You can't do enough good things. You can't fix the mistakes you've made. You can't do any of those things. The only thing you can do is fall at a merciful Savior's feet and answer the question, do you love Him? Are you willing to trust in Jesus with your life? But Jesus takes that one step further with Peter. He, he connects Peter's love for him with his willingness to engage in what Jesus calls him to with his sheep. What, is, what does that mean? Jesus says, feed my sheep or tend my lambs. And, and the picture, of course, is a missional sense. Jesus isn't talking about that he's got some flock of sheep somewhere off in the hills that, that Peter needs to spend the rest of his life tending and guarding in, in order that those sheep might be taken care of. He's talking about spiritual sheep. He's talking about all of those who would follow Jesus as the good shepherd. Some would, some would argue that John is the only place, the only gospel writer that does not give us the Great Commission. And so if you're familiar with what the Great Commission is, you'll see it. Luke chapter 24, this, this walk with Jesus, they, uh, were, their eyes were opened and, and Jesus told them, that they were witnesses of all the things that he's done. And so he says in verse 49 or verse 46, Luke 24, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so there's the great commission. Luke chapter 24. It's repeated really in Acts chapter 1 kind of as an overlap. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the age. So the Great Commission is in Luke 24. Some would say that that's not the only place. We see it also in Mark chapter 16. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Clearly, that's the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16. We, we also see it in the most famous passage and we repeat this often and, and call the church to this often. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so clearly we would recognize these three passages as the Great Commission. But what about John? Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And again, feed my sheep. Certainly Sheep and lambs are a reference to those who are in Christ. 
You'll remember John chapter 10 that Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd. Aren't you glad that we have a good shepherd this morning? A good shepherd in Christ. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Aren't you glad this morning that if you're in Christ, that Jesus saw you as his own and he laid down his life for you? Isn't that good news this morning? Shake your head. That's good news this morning. Amen. But he doesn't stop there. The very next verse. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one Shepherd And Jesus says to Peter, those other sheep and the ones that are among us now, you tend that flock. You see, it's the Great Commission. John chapter 21. He's giving it to one man, but certainly there are implications for all of us. He, he says to Peter that the tending of his sheep and the, the feeding of his lambs is to carry out the mission of God in the church. And in the world, of course, Peter has a key role in leading that out. And and certainly the message would be applicable to Peter as leader in the church. But Peter would have clearly understood these words, not just to be about the sheep that were there then, but certainly the sheep that would come. And, And furthermore, I believe that the setting that he's giving these words is almost the very same context, the very same location even potentially as either Luke 24, Mark 16, or Matthew 28. In other words, this is the Great Commission. And so again, he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Then engage in the mission. And so we cannot escape this. Jesus has a mission. And we cannot ignore it. Amen, church? You believe that? You believe the same words that were coming to Peter, the same words that have come to us? You and I, if Jesus really does have a mission, then you and I cannot ignore the mission. We cannot ignore it. Our love for Jesus, don't miss it, produces faithfulness to the mission. If you're not engaged in the mission, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll be a part of the mission. And the, con- the converse is also true. If you don't engage in the mission, the question at least has to be asked. Do you really love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? If you're a follower of Christ, you must be committed to His mission. And I'm so incredibly thankful for this right after Easter because it means that yes, we came and saw last week, but it means that it is this week that is, it is time for us to go and tell the same story that we celebrated last week. Connected to a flock, by the way. It's connected to the gathered, the gathering of sheep, the, the, the church, the gathering of God's people. And you and I are to engage in the mission. And now, 2,000 years after Jesus, through local expressions called local churches, Southwide, we are, we are the, the flock of God. And we are to tend the sheep, and, and not these sheep only, but all the sheep that God would add to this flock, the community surrounding us. And so do you love Jesus? Then you have a mission, the mission of Jesus, that you cannot ignore. Then Peter 
John gives us these words through the story of Peter, these final statements. What do we make of John chapter 21, verses 18 and, and 19? What do they mean? Some of you might be able to relate to this statement. I'm talking to our more mature in the room. Those of us who have far more wisdom than the rest of us have, right? How many of you, how many of you know when you, when you were younger, you could do a whole lot more things that you used to, used to not be able to do that you, now that you're older? Uh, yeah, there's a few of us. Alright. Some of us. I'm barely, I'm, I'll be 30, uh, 35 this year, and uh, I'm starting to feel that, but uh, I'm a long way off, right? Um, we know that as we get older, we can't do the same things that we used to. And, and so Peter, at least that seems what Jesus is saying. Peter, when, when you're young, you can do whatever you want. And when you get old, you're not going to be able to do anything you want. And so maybe we would look at that and say, well, Peter, you should, you should be hot-hearted about the Gospel right now early in life because you can do more. I don't think that's what Jesus is describing. In fact, the younger Peter is connected to the positive idea of freedom. This idea that you're restricted when you get older. But he uses this curious phrase. He says that when you are older, you will stretch out your hands. Stretch out your hands. And we know that that phrase was only used in the New Testament world for criminals who would be crucified. Their hands would be stretched out. Jesus is not saying you're not going to be able to do as much when you get older. Jesus is saying when you get older, you're going to be crucified. You see, the same commitment, Peter, that you made back in John 13, it's actually going to happen. I told you you couldn't do it then because what I was going to do was not just for you, it was for the whole world. And you, Peter, as a sinner, you don't have the ability to die for sinners Criminals can't take the death of criminals. Only, only one who is innocent and Jesus alone can take that penalty for us. So he says, Peter, you can't do that. And yet he says, there's coming a day where you will. And then in John 21, he says, yes, you're young now and you're going to be able to do and, and, and you're going to be able to carry on this mission and feeding my lambs. But, but you're going to do it all the while with this hanging over your head that you're going to go to your death. When you get old, somebody is going to stretch your hands out and they're going to dress you how they want to and they're going to lead you to the place you never wanted to go. The whole reason you denied me in the first place and you're going to go to your own death. And so Peter was told that in order to follow Jesus now at this moment, it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him. And then Jesus says the words at the end of the passage, follow me. He tells Peter everything it's going to cost. And he says, follow me anyway. You see, Peter had volunteered before, but he didn't know what he was really saying. He overestimated his own abilities. And he says, I'm going to pay a debt that you're never able to pay and, and you'll deny me, but I will not deny myself. And I'll go on this mission to save you by dying on the cross. And then Peter sees it on the other side. He says, Peter, I, I have a mission now that you've seen this death and I'm building a church and I'm, I'm calling out sheep and they're coming to me and they're hearing my voice. Peter, I want you to build my kingdom. I want you to advance my gospel. I want you to do my will in all the earth. I want you to, to have this mission. And if you're a follower of mine, you can't ignore the mission. But Peter, 
Even though I paid the debt for you that you couldn't. And even though I have this mission that you're going to engage in and you're going to lead out in, it will come with a cost. Later, Peter wrote words in in his letter to the church scattered all throughout Asia because of persecution. He says that if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And how in the world can this man write these things? Because he got in his gut what Jesus said in John chapter 21. The statement, no doubt, was a reflection of Jesus' words as he had reflected on it throughout his life. And, And what is remarkable is that Peter would serve the Lord, don't miss it, the next 30 years. Three decades, Peter would serve the Lord knowing that he's about to die at any moment. And so it leads us to a huge truth. And that is that Jesus calls you, calls me, calls us at a cost that you must consider. When you came and followed Jesus, it was not just simply to believe some truths and to have a happy-go-lucky, just shallow, carefree life. Jesus didn't just save you so that you could make it through one day at a time. It wasn't the goal. It never was the goal. Jesus saved you and, and he, he saved you that you might engage in the mission of God and that would come at a high cost. So Jesus calls you and you've got to consider the cost. That's what He said in Luke 14. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and consider the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And in summarizing several other things that he said about paying costs, Jesus comes to this conclusion. He says, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has and and uh, and follow me cannot be my disciple. We don't want to be uncomfortable, do we? We want convenient lives. We want a Christian experience that will fit neatly into our custom box that we've created for it and never go outside the lines. Now, I'm not saying that we're all called to be martyrs like Peter. Don't hear that. Please don't hear that this morning. I'm also not saying that some of you might not be called to be martyrs. But I am concerned I am concerned about our approach to do only as much as keeps us within the realm of our comfort, within the realm of our own personal agenda. And when it comes to commitment and sacrifice, the church in contemporary America is lacking. The gospel, the biblical gospel disrupts our life. And any gospel that does not disrupt our life is not a biblical gospel. And that is tied directly to the mission that God has called us to. And Jesus says, follow me. So, seeing all of that, some of you in this room, many of you in this room, I hope, are in Christ. You know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some time ago, you recognized the debt, like Peter, that was owed that you could never pay. You recognized the death that was upon your life, the the wrath of God against you because you are a sinner. You and I both having turned against God and obeyed our own rebellion rather than the God who created us. 
And so you heard the call of the gospel and you followed Jesus and you obeyed what he's commanded you to do. And you are becoming like him every day and living for his mission to make disciples. And so last week, this phrase, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your life is that statement. Your life is totally sold out to Jesus. You're His. You want to do whatever He wants. Just like Peter, you say, I want to follow you, Jesus, even to the death. And Peter has has heard those words and you've heard those words. Follow me and you're following after Jesus. You've jumped in the water and couldn't wait to get to Him. And so, this morning, if that's you, and you're standing there on the shore with Peter, you're hearing these words of Jesus. I believe that you and I would be left with a tough question. And it is this. What is your Christianity costing you? I mean, really costing you. Certainly the The life of sin and rebellion against God should be put to death, crucified. No longer to live again. And you're new in Christ, so certainly those things should be gone. And going. And being redeemed and changed. What about the rest of your life? The things that we might declare not moral issues. I mean, really think about what, what does it cost you to follow Jesus? Your plans? When was the last time you had to change your plans because God wanted you to do something for Him? When is the last time that you set aside time? You had to sacrifice time. There was something you really wanted to do or participate in and you just said, I can't do this and serve the Lord too. And when was the last time in, in making that choice you said, you said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that thing aside. I'm going to give my time to Jesus. When's the last time? When was the last time you looked at your finances? I mean, a real hard look and you asked the question, what is it costing me to follow Jesus? You, you can't buy your way into heaven, know this. But if you love Jesus, it's all going to be laid on the line. Your whole life. It's all His. What is it costing in the area of your career? What is it costing in your hobbies? Do you, do you spend so much more of your time wrapped up in your hobby pursuits? You see, if it really comes down to it, and I'm just speaking in generalities, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would, would speak to you when it comes to specifics in your life. But when it really comes down to it, what I'm really asking you is how much of your life has been put to death and how much of it is that Jesus now lives in you? If I had to guess on the way that you answered that question, I would say that it's probably similar to me. My life is not totally laid on the altar as it should be. When Jesus says, follow me, it is a costly command. 
I want to close just simply with an illustration of maybe how this might apply in your life. Maybe not your story, but it certainly is the story of one. You'll meet in just a few couple of weeks the Matthews family. Cody and his wife Jessica, they're three precious children, all under probably the age of eight, I believe now. Cody was one of my students when I was a youth pastor in Pensacola for a short season. He went on to attend the Baptist College of Florida where he uh, would, would, would study biblical studies, became an associate pastor of a small church plant that grew very quickly in Pensacola called The Cross. Um, Cody's been serving there for five years as associate pastor. During that time, he led the church in starting a mission sending agency where they were training people to go to Peru every year for five years. He and his family would go on short-term mission to Peru and, and spend his days there. And he would, he would help train pastors during that time and, and take some of the people that he's trained in the States with him. And they've taken many to, to Peru. And for five years, he answered the call of God to train and to send. But the beginning or the end of last year, beginning of this year, God said, Go. You know, you have to understand. They owned their dream house, three children, the perfect American family, and everything that they had was what they always hoped to be. And God said, Go. So at the beginning of this year, they sold everything they had their home, their clothing, their furniture and even their children's toys to answer the call of God and go to Peru. They sold out everything because they believed in the mission of God. Now, I don't know what God's calling you to. It may or may not be Peru. It may or may not be some other nation on the planet. But I know what He's called all of us to. He has called every single one of us to be willing and ready to give up anything we have for Christ and to follow Him in His mission. So what's your Christianity costing you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you to respond to that simple question this morning. Simple question. Some of you in this room may say, you know what, Pastor, I'm giving up a whole lot. You know, I'm giving over and beyond what the Lord calls me to in offering. I give of my time to the church. I'm serving in many different ways. And, and Pastor, sometimes I get tired and I'm worn out. But, but God's just blessed that and I'm thankful. And, and I say with you, brother, sister, thank God for you. Keep serving. Keep pouring out your life for the kingdom. Ask God to bless you in bigger ways so you can give even more. And as He sees fit, I, I just rejoice in you and your life and what God's doing through your life. So some of you in this room, that's who you are. And I, I just want to encourage you in the next few moments to do, th to do two things. To pray, to rejoice, number one. Pray in gratitude over what God's done in your life. And, and just pray that God will continue to move. And pray for your brothers and sisters across this room that God would do the same thing in their life. Some others in this room. You'd say, Pastor... My Christianity is costing me nothing and I get it. I stand with Peter there and I, I just have this kind of casual commitment and 
I don't even attend regularly. I, I, I don't give faithfully, just in obedience, much less in sacrifice. And pastor, I want to be that. I want to be that Christian. Holy Spirit speaking to me today. And would you pray for me? And I want to pray for you in just a few moments that that'll happen in your life. But it begins with right now surrendering it all. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that this morning you know what lordship is, and you give everything to Jesus as you now know. This altar is going to be open in a few moments and I just encourage you to come. You bow before the Lord and you ask that question to the Lord as He's asked it to you. What's your Christianity costing you? So, Jesus, what do you want me to give up for you? What do you want me to give? Because I want to know you and your kingdom and your mission. And there's a third type of person in this room this morning. You're here and you came for some reason, maybe to see somebody be baptized, maybe because you're looking for a church home, or maybe you just wandered in and this just it seemed like a good thing to do today. But today you're here and you've never given up anything for Jesus. In fact, you've never believed the Gospel. You never understood God's love for you. you. You've been trying to work your way in or somehow dodge all of the things that are happening in your life. But at the end of the day... You need saving. You need rescue. And God alone, God alone today has offered you hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, you would step out of the place where you'll be seated, where you'll be standing a few moments. You'd come down to this aisle and you'd say, Pastor, today, today I want to be saved. Would you help me? I'll help you. I'll help you. The Bible says that Jesus will save you. And so you come in just a few moments. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All across the room, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to open this altar. And this is your opportunity to respond to what the Lord has laid upon your heart this morning. The altar is open. I'm here. Others are willing to pray with you. And I'm going to pray. Brother Charlie is going to have some music going. And we're going to respond to the Lord in obedience. Father, I pray today that you would have your will and your way in this place. That hearts and lives would truly be surrendered to you in all that we are. And I ask it in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening. And may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.